Welcome to Arise Church, where we exist so that you can experience God. I pray that this message will encourage, inspire, and grow your faith in God. Enjoy the message. So, so we are in this unique season. I mean, the Bucks won last week. There's most of my childhood. I could never say that. Um, the Bucks won last week. The Tampa Bay Rays are now the AL East champions. Sorry to all you Yankee fans. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And, you know, the, the Lightning start on Tuesday, I think it is, to start defending their back-to-back championships. It's, it's an amazing time. And thinking about the Lightning, I, I was thinking about the fact, um, you know, unlike most of you in this room, I grew up in Florida. How many of you grew up in Florida? Okay, there, there's a, some. Like, you know, we're, we're a transplant state. Like, nobody's ever from here, it seems like. When you grow up in Florida, the most you know about ice is what comes out of the freezer. Like, that's it, man. Like, like that is it. And, um, and so, so, you know, when, when, when we start talking about hockey in the Tampa Bay region, it's kind of weird if you grow up in Florida because, I mean, it was 100 degrees in the summer and 70 degrees in the wintertime here. Like, like, we used to go swimming on Christmas Day sometimes when you grew up in Florida. You know nothing about playing ice hockey or anything like that. I didn't see snow until I was a teenager and I went on a trip to Gatlinburg, Tennessee in Ober-Gatlinburg and it was fake snow. <laughs> Which is also the first time that I ever actually ice skated. And when I say ever actually ice skated, I use that in a lot of parentheses because I can't ice skate, right? Um, like, like I am that guy that looks like, like Bambi coming out of the womb on ice skates, right? I'm just like all over the place. And like we say, oh, you can't ice skate. That's not actually true. I can ice skate. I just can't change direction. I go straight. And if anything's in my way, God bless you. If you've got a newborn infant in the way, they're going to get ran over because I can't do anything about it. Like I'm just going straight. I cannot turn. I cannot stop. I can't, I, but I can go straight. I'm good going straight. When I watch the lightning play, one of the things that always mesmerizes me is how good they are on ice skates. And you forget sometimes that they're on ice skates, like, like ice skates. And, and I didn't grow up ice skating. And all of us proud Floridians, we don't know anything about ice skating unless you, you know, you went, and it was years, it wasn't until I was an older teenager that they built the, the ice skating rink here in Brandon and, and you had the opportunity to do that kind of thing. But, but, but. But hockey in Tampa, I'm like, I don't even know all the rules. Like, like still to this day, I like the Lightning. I support the Lightning. I, I go to some games sometimes, and, and I watch sometimes on, on, on TV. But there's still things that don't make sense to me. Like, I understand icing, but I still don't really understand it. I grew up where an icing was something you put on cupcakes. And it was really good. And in hockey, it's a bad thing. And I'm still confused by that. And, and sometimes I'm like, that should be icing, but it's not. And I don't understand why it's not. And other times they say it is. And I'm like, why is that? I still don't understand it. But yet the funny thing that's happened here in Champa Bay is despite the fact that if you grew up here, you know nothing of ice and skates and hockey pucks and, and hockey sticks. But the funny thing that happened here is that we got lightning fever. It's weird. We got this lightning fever that's going all over the place. And then we say things like this, like the lightning won the Stanley Cup again for the third time on their history last year. And we say things like this. We go, we won the Stanley Cup. We, we won the Stanley Cup. I can't even skate. I don't even understand the rules. I don't quite get it, but we won the Stanley Cup. Here's the thing, you were not on the ice. 
you were probably not even in the stadium. I mean, maybe a few of you. We do the same thing with, with football. We won the Super Bowl. What, what do you got a mouse in your pocket? Who are we are we talking about? You probably weren't even at the game, right? You, you were watching it on TV, but we say we won the Super Bowl, right? We just won the American League East in baseball. Yay, go Rays, we won it. What do you, you, like if I were a player watching this happen, I would be awfully tempted to be like, we who? We who? You can't even ice skate. You were not there at four o'clock in the morning when we're getting out of bed for workouts and going, you know, not eating healthy our entire lives and never, never eating anything bad, no sugars, no carbs, eating clean our entire lives and, and, and going to bed with ice packs on your knees and, and waking up in the morning to get onto a treadmill and, and playing through pain and agony when you don't even want to get up, you got to get back up and, and keep playing in these different sports and, and getting hit by baseballs when the pitcher's throwing them 90 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour, getting hit by baseballs. And you're talking, we? Won something. Who are we? Because the team won something. We were on the field. Most of us have probably never even been on any of those fields to walk across them. We were eating pizza and chicken wings, watching the game online, watching the game on TV when they were winning it. So if I were a player, I'd be like, we, we, we who? We, we, who? But yet we do that, don't we, in Champa Bay? And we do that across areas like this. We won something because we are Champa Bay, but we might not have even been in the stadiums. I can't even skate, but I'll say we won. So what happens is I start to accept some of the lightning's glory. What they won, I inherit just for being associated with them. I, I don't understand all the rules, but I get a little bit of their glory. I didn't work for it. I didn't do anything to get it, but I get a little bit of their glory just by where I am and who I associate myself with. So what happened? Stanley, Lord Stanley went to the Tampa Bay Lightning and what did Pastor Brent do? He went the next day and bought the shirt that you see right there. <laughs> it's happened to be this way. I am not superstitious. I'm only a little stitious. <laughs> and so when the Bucks won the Super Bowl, I happened to preach in South Shore that next week and I bought the Bucks Super Bowl shirt and I preached in that shirt. So when the Lightning won the Stanley Cup, I bought the Stanley Cup shirt and I preached in the Stanley Cup shirt. That's why I'm wearing it in the top right, right there uh, in South Shore. I don't know if it's all because of me they win, <laughs> but I'm just saying maybe I have something to do with it. Something, I, I don't know, but I have my own little traditions. <laughs> Could it be that sometimes there's one thing that's so glorious that even those who did not participate in the glorious thing get to be a part of it by their association with it? So we've been talking about the story of David and Goliath for three weeks. You know, even going before David and Goliath, David's a shepherd boy. He's a nobody. He's, he's just a kid and, and God anoints him to be the next king of Israel. And he finds out that it's more than just what you see on the outside that matters. It's what's on the inside that matters. And then David goes from there and eventually ends up in a field fighting a giant who was six foot nine inches tall when the average height was in the, in the, in the lower five foot talls at the time. And David was probably much shorter than that. So he was a, he was a massive man, but yet he steps out on the field of play, so to speak, and comes against this giant. And last week we talked about it was the very fact that he stepped onto the field is why he won. It wasn't, it wasn't about uh, did he actually win the victory. When he stepped on the field, he had already won in God's sight. His obedience, his faithfulness had already won the victory before he ever killed Goliath. And then we also talked about last week that Goliath or, or that David was not the underdog. We love to say it's an underdog story, but if you got God on your side, how exactly are you the underdog in this story? 
So having God on your side, you are not the underdog. But, 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 but I want you to see this because what had happened, and I, I told you this last week, but let me just refresh your memory. What had happened was there's almost like a field of play. There's an a, 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 a army on one side and an army on this side that, that, that are on the side of mountains and cliffs. And, and right down in the middle, they're watching this thing play out. And the way it was associated is that whoever won the battle won, or whoever won that fight with Goliath won the entire battle and the other one would be surrendered over to that army. And so with that in mind and with that thought, I just want to read you a couple verses that most of the time we skip over when we read this passage of scripture. First Samuel chapter 17 verses 51 through 53. Now that Goliath has just been slain and it says this, David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from its sheath. He had not even drawn his own sword yet. That's interesting, isn't it? He had no respect for David. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. I don't know how you picture this, and I'm sorry if there's kids in the room, but I don't know how you picture this, but this is the lightning going around with the Stanley cup over their head. This is David holding Goliath's head over his head going, ah, look what I just did, right? This is, anyway, that's my, the way I see it, okay. So he cuts his head off with his own sword. That's a bad mamma jamma for a little kid. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they did what? They did what? They turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward. Then the men of, they're really brave. Y'all know that. They are heroic people. So now that Goliath is dead, and then the Philistines take off and run. Well, then the Israelites decide to join the party. <laughs> then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to enhance or to the entrance of Gath to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharain road and to, to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. I just want to point out one thing really quick. We're going to spend a lot of time on our second point, but the first point is this. In David, a nation reaped, reaped the benefits of one young man's faith, one young man's sacrifice, one young man's willing to step into what nobody else would step into, and they all reaped the benefits of it. Notice it's not until the Philistine army turns and runs away that the Israelite army all of a sudden finds their courage and starts chasing them and starts killing them. It's easy to kill people when they're running from you. Not that I've done it, but I could imagine much easier than they're running than when they're running at you. It's funny how they get brave and courageous all of a sudden. It's funny how the very same people who were laughing at David one minute are celebrating and basking in the glory of what David did the next. The people who thought, who is this kid? What is he? Why is Saul allowing this kid to go out and fight this giant? What are they thinking? What's going on here? The very same people are suddenly now loving to be associated with David. <laughs> so now they surge after the enemy and start, start killing them. It's funny how things can turn so quickly. It reminds me a lot of fans. Fans, fans of any sports team. If I were an actual athlete on an actual professional team, I would get so frustrated with fans. One minute they love you, literally the next minute they hate you. One minute you are a deity, a God in the flesh, a demigod. The next minute you are the devil himself and it's wishy-washy and back and forth. And I love this team and I hate this team and I hate this player. And this coach is coach of the year. Now he needs to be fired, whatever it is. 
And it's back and forth and back and forth. In one second, they hated him. The next second, they're jumping on the David bandwagon. In fact, we're going to see later on, or I say we would, if you kept reading, you would see later on that they start singing praises to David later on. You know, David, David, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one can. You know, and they start singing praises. David's killed, you know, Saul's killed his thousands. David is tens of thousands. And, and, and they're singing his praises. The same people they were singing their hatred towards and making fun of. That's a funny little thing. And, and notice that they plundered the enemy's camp. So they chase them off, killing them. Then they go back and the camp is right there. So everybody's helping themselves to all the chicken that they left over, to all the gold they got left over. You know, somebody found an Armani, you know, jacket or whatever there and they're helping themselves. Did they earn that victory? They didn't earn that victory. They didn't deserve that victory. The people were blessed because of what David did. And because of their chosen association with David, they found that there was a blessing on the other side of it. Can we take this a little deeper this morning? Some of you already know where we're going, but, but there's something deeper you should know that in the Old Testament, you oftentimes have people that are considered types of Christ or images of Christ before they come into the New Testament. And, and David is a type of Christ and Goliath is a symbol of the enemy that we face all the time. We do have to remember that Old Testament accounts always have New Testament principles. So there's principles from the Old Testament accounts. And I want to say that David was the true, or I'm sorry, Jesus was the true David and he defeated the true Goliath. That's sin and death and hell. He defeated, in fact, I could go through a whole list of things here. David came from afar off, so did Jesus. David caught grief from his brothers. Jesus caught grief from his family. David's way of fighting was not understood by Saul. Jesus's way of fighting was not understood by the religious leaders. David fought in the power of the name of God. Jesus came in the power of God and was given the name that is above every name. David fought a battle that wasn't his. Jesus fought a battle that wasn't his. David took the place of fearful soldiers. Jesus took the place of you and I. David used a sling and a stone. Jesus used a cross and three nails. David charged the enemy in the valley. Jesus charged the abyss of hell. David cut off the head of Goliath. Jesus cuts off the head of the serpent. Come on, y'all. David defeated Goliath. Jesus defeated sin, hell, and the grave. David's victory brought healing to the land. Jesus's victory brings healing to us. David's victory brought peace to Israel. Jesus's victory brought peace to our worlds. David's victory brought courage to the Israelites. Jesus's victory brought courage to you and I. David's victory caused Israel to overcome the Philistines. Jesus's victory empowers us to overcome every temptation of the enemy. David's victory made him savior of Israel. Jesus's victory made him savior of the world. David's victory exalted him to being a son-in-law to the king. Jesus's victory exalted him and made him, and he was the very king of kings. David's victory was celebrated and shared throughout the kingdom. Jesus's victory was celebrated and shared in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world, all the way to Brandon. The Israelites sang praises to David and we sing praises to Jesus. All I'm saying is there's an association here that if you're not careful, you'll miss the New Testament context of what's happening in the Old Testament and that David is a type of Christ. Are you with me? So this is where I want to spend the majority of my time this morning. And I think there's some profound things in this. If you'll lean in and hear me this morning. In David, they had victory, but in Christ, you have the benefits of Christ. In Christ, like with David, even though you did nothing to deserve it, you can experience the benefits that come with association with Jesus Christ. This is good. 
In fact, there's this term that's used constantly in the New Testament. The term is this, in Christ. In Christ. There's, there's nearly 200 times in the New Testament that the phrase or the synonym to in Christ is used. But yet if we ask people what it means to be in Christ, we oftentimes have no idea what that means. In fact, you see very important verses like 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, help me out, if anyone is... The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, Galatians 2, 20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. Ephesians 2, 10 says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Romans 6, 3 and 4 says, or you do not know that all of you who are baptized into Christ or in Christ. Uh, Romans 6, 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ. Are y'all with me? Romans 6, 23, famous verse, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of eternal life is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ, in Christ. Over and over and over, when you read the New Testament, you're going to hear this term, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Let me focus on one quick verse this morning. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. We'll, we'll read it as we go along here. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. It's backwards a slide. So in Christ Jesus, so what, what? In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. You are not a child of God until you are what? In Christ. When you become in Christ, then you become a child of God. See, in Christ means to be united to Christ the way that your arm or a limb of your body is united to the body. It means to be in Christ uh, the way that a branch is part of a vine. It is connected to it. It isn't it, but it is connected to it and receives its source from it. What does it mean um, that we are in Christ? It means that we have a union with Christ, that we are now unified with him. We are now part of him. We are unified with him. It doesn't mean you have an admiration for Christ. There's a lot of people that have an admiration for Christ. It doesn't mean you can quote Bible verses or share your church attendance record over the last year or so. It doesn't mean you are a fan. I want to be very cautious with the way I use this because there's a level of fanship that many people know that's different than the level of fanship I'm talking about this morning. It's not just that you are a fan, but that you are a part of him. You are in relationship with him now. It's not a fan who jumps on the bandwagon. It's a fan who's been watching every game and reading all the blogs and following everything. And their world now revolves around that team, that thing, that, that entity. And, and we find this, like, like, like for instance, in a marriage, right? When I, when I married Ada, I suddenly became incorporated with her, her family. Like it or not, come on, y'all. That's a joke. I love her family. But like it or not, you become associated with your in-laws for better or for worse from this day forward. Why? Because you swore allegiance to one person. You got the benefits of everything that came with that person. Or you might get the other. But whatever it is in your case, you see this with adoption as we'll read in, in, in just a second. We, we, we see this with adoption. It's this powerful image that, that, that you are now part of something that's bigger than you and you get the benefits of it. When you are adopted into a family, now all of a sudden you get the benefits of all that family's name even though you didn't earn any of it. 
It's that, that spirit of, of, of adoption right there. So, so go back to that verse again in Romans, or I'm sorry, Galatians chapter three. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were what? Baptized into Christ Jesus, have what? Clothe yourself with Christ. Clothe yourself with Christ. I, I, need, I need four volunteers really quick that can come up and help me for a little while. Elijah, get up here. Brandon and Nicole, you guys run up here. So give me one more. Somebody, I don't care who it is. One more, one more, one more. One more, one more. Yay. So, so when we are in Christ, it says two things. One, you are baptized in him, and then you are clothed with him. Go, go right there in the middle. You are baptized in him, and then you are clothed in him. So you come in looking like yourself, associated with yourself, who I am. We have a society that's all about who you are. Find yourself. Be true to yourself. Throw it on. This says... This says that you can now not only associate with yourself, but you can associate with something bigger than yourself. Throw that on. Throw that on. You got a hat and everything, man. Mess up your hair. You can associate with something bigger. So you come in as one thing. I'll save you. I'll spare you. That's a great part of the message right there. Besides, you graduated from USF, so you need the USF jersey. I didn't realize that was Hardy Button. He could have unbuttoned. <laughs> He's trying to put it on button. So you now associate yourself with something that's greater than yourself, and you start to receive the benefits of it. So, so when we talk about uh, when we talk about jerseys and clothing yourself, that is an identity. That's something you are trying to identify with. When you wear Arise T-shirts, we have a few of them. If you haven't noticed. When you wear Arise t-shirts, what you're doing is trying to identify with Arise. When you wear a jersey from your favorite team, you are trying to identify with that team. Your identity becomes part of it. And so you are told to clothe yourself in Christ. Clothe yourself in Christ. That means you don't have identity any longer that's greater than your identity with Christ. Right. Now, you still have identity. You're still, you still have an identity. But the greatest identity you will ever receive is the identity that you now clothe yourself with. Are y'all with me? You see, what, you see what I'm saying here? So now I've clothed myself. Therefore, when the Rays win the AL East... Whoa, look what we just did because now I'm identifying as a Rays fan. I'm identifying, I am now clothing myself in something that my identity is not just me, it's associated with somebody else. But sometimes that can backfire. <laughs> because sometimes it stinks to be a fan of that team. If I, if I had thought this through, I would have, wore, I would have brought a Florida State jersey. As a Florida State fan, my goodness. But, but, but you identify and you get the allegiance. Right. Now, some of you will understand this. Others of you won't. If you're from the North, you don't fully get this. 
When you are born in the South, you get a few different things. You get a hug from your mama, sweet tea, a social security card, and you are sworn allegiance to a particular college football team that you probably will never go to. I don't know how it starts, but you become a Gator fan, a Seminole fan. I'm not even gonna talk about that team down South, but you become a USF fan. And you all of a sudden sworn allegiance to this team till you die. In fact, the thing that you hate the most are people that switch allegiances. Now, if you're from up north, you swore your allegiance to the New York Yankees, and that's why you've been living here for 50 years of your 60 years of your life, but you are still a Yankee fan till you die. Even in the bad years where the hapless Rays win the AL East and thump the Yankees every time they play, even in those years, you still have to be a Yankee fan. You still have to go to Tropicana Field and take over the stadium. Come on. So, so we become unified. We clothe ourselves in Christ to be associated with something someone else does. And it's not always beautiful. There are moments as a USF fan or as a Florida State fan or as a Gator fan or as a Rays fan that we look horrible. But the worst thing you could do, even by human standards, is go, I'm not associated with them anymore. We hate when people do that. And in college football, like you could get kicked out of your family for that. Like, like this is serious stuff if you're from the South and you know college football. And so, so the other thing that drives us crazy is what's called bandwagon fans, right? Drives all of us crazy, right? And so all of a sudden now the Rays win. Oh, everybody's a Rays fan. Everybody wants to go to the games now. USF starts winning. Oh, we're all going to those games, right? The Bucks start winning. They ain't talked about the Bucks in 50 years. All of a sudden you are a Bucks fan through and through. And I watched all those games, Pastor. No, you didn't. And the biggest one of all is the Tampa Bay Lightning. Because the Tampa Bay Lightning, we're not even supposed to have hockey in Tampa. It's 100 degrees in the winter sometimes. And so the Tampa Bay Lightning come, people don't pay it much credit. All of a sudden they start winning and everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon fan. There's a beauty of the Lightning though, because if you haven't noticed this, The Lightning are incredibly, while they're a smaller unit inside of Tampa Bay, they're incredibly powerful. Have you noticed that? Like they are loud and proud and you'll see more Lightning banners around Tampa than anything else. They they are incredibly powerful. Do you know why I think that is? This is a fresh word. Like literally during worship this morning, I felt like Lord speaking this to me. The reason why I think it is, is because not everybody in Tampa is Bucks fans. You got a lot of Giants fans. I love you New Yorkers, but I make fun of you a lot. You got all the Giants fans, you got Redskins fans, you got whatever. You got all these other people that brought their their allegiance with them when they came. My God, you want to start a fight in a family, just start talking about college football. You are sworn allegiance in the South from the day you're born and you better not try that allegiance, right? And so you can start a fight with that. If I said USF rules, we'd start an argument in here, people throwing stuff, it'd be crazy. All you Yankee fans, you know there's more of you than there are Rays fans in Tampa. Drives me crazy, but it's probably true, right? But what you have with the lightning is people don't usually have a sworn allegiance when they come to Tampa for hockey. And so while, while there might be less fans, they are incredibly powerful fans because they are, they, are, they are unified around an allegiance to a hockey team. Oh, if we could get unified about being in Christ Jesus instead of everything else. <laughs> There is power in unity. There is power in unity. 
And so he gives these two images. He says, first of all, you are clothed in Christ Jesus, but then you are also baptized in Christ Jesus. So you're baptized and clothed. Baptism is this picture of submersing yourself into something, being given completely over to it. When you are baptized in front of people, the whole picture is I have sworn allegiance to Jesus Christ the rest of my life. That's why we do these baptism creeds and things like that in our church. So now not only, not only am I wearing Christ, but now I have sworn allegiance to Christ. Now you're the one that's reading every blog, following every post. Now you're the one that's watching every game, even when you're on vacation and it's 1 a.m. because you're in a different time zone and you're still watching the game. And there's this word people use for those people, fanatics, fanatics. And he's saying, if you are going to be in Christ, you're going to be clothed with Christ and you're going to be fanatical about Christ. You're going to be so submerged into the Christian culture that nothing else even makes sense. I can't understand why everybody doesn't watch college football on Saturday. I don't know what you do at 430 today if you're not watching the Bucks, because I'm so ingrained into a Buccaneers culture that other people just don't make sense to me. Are y'all with me? But you can become so ingrained into the culture of Christ, not the church necessarily. That's not necessarily the same thing. But so ingrained into the culture of Christ that your allegiance consumes you like baptism water that surrounds you and is in all and all is in you. It's surrounding you everywhere you go that now you are in Christ, clothing yourself with the identity. See, I'm a cheap lightning fan. I'm not the one that, you lightning fans will hate me. I watch a few games, I go to a few games. I, I, I bought the shirt when they won the championship. I bought that hat when they won the championship. That's the first time I've probably ever spent money on the lightning. When I go to games, people take me with them. <laughs> My allegiance to the lightning cost me all of about 40 bucks. I don't really know, maybe 20 bucks for the shirt that you saw and 20 bucks for the hat. That's my level of allegiance to the lightning. What are you willing to sacrifice for your allegiance to Christ? I'm not the one giving up all my time to follow the lightning. I'm not the one that can name every player and where they come from and their backgrounds and their stories and all that kind of stuff. What are you willing? How involved in you are you in Christ? Because my fear is the modern American church has a $40 relationship with Christ. We know how to put the jersey on and give the name recognition and look the part and you fit in with everybody else who's a lightning fan. But as soon as it goes deeper, you're lost like a ghost in the fog. I can't name players. I can't name this. As soon as people start quoting Bible verses and how it's affecting their life and how they're living for Christ, all of a sudden, I don't know what I'm doing now because I just got in over my head because I have a $40 relationship with Jesus. Instead of giving myself fully over to Christ. Is anybody with me? Everybody with me this morning? See, see what's happening, and I, I got to close. I got a lot more to say, but I'm not going to get through. So what's happening is we give our identity over to Christ. Therefore, we are now associated with him. We are now in Christ, which doesn't mean you lose your other identity. It just means that becomes a secondary identity. So, so go back to Galatians, uh, uh, not Galatians, um, yeah, yeah, go back to Galatians 3 again. Galatians 3, 26 again, let's keep going. So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither 
Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male nor female. There, there was a common prayer that they said rabbis would pray at that time period, that every morning they would pray and they would say, God, thank you that I'm not like those Gentiles. And thank you that I'm not like those females. And, and, and thank you, you know, that, that, that I'm not like those slaves. And Paul seems to be directly contrasting that. And he says, as you are now clothed with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male and female. For you are all one in what? In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, I am now unified around him instead of disunified around my identities. This is so key. When you go to a Bucks game or a hockey game, nobody asks you if you're a Republican Democrat to check your card to get in. They don't care. All they care about is are you for our team or for the other team? And you'll have pockets of people that are for another team, but hopefully, unless it's a Rays game and playing the Yankees, hopefully the majority of the team is the home field, right? Hopefully on a Sunday morning, the majority of the team here is the home field, although we're going to have some others that, that come in and out. And so there's neither slave nor free, male nor female. You're all in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ and you are Abraham's seed, you're now orphaned into him and heirs according to the promise. Hear me. I've got to close. Hear me. Hear me. Are you in Christ with your identity formed around him? Or are you in the Republican with your identity formed around a Republican? Are you in Christ or are you in vaccine? Or anti-vaccine, whatever. I don't. Are you in Christ or are you in mass? Or anti-mass, whatever. Because the temptation that will happen that Paul is trying to address is that our identity wants to be formed by everybody and everything except Jesus. And we live in this culture right now that wants you to be on their side. And so Republicans will fight for you. Democrats will fight for you. They'll tell you everything in the world to get you to join their side, build your identity around them. So you are becoming prophets of them, sharing their news, sharing what they think about the world, sharing what they think about masks and what they think about vaccines and what they think about Black Lives Matter and what they think about this or that. And all of a sudden now you are a prophet for an identity that's not Christ. Are y'all with me? I told you this is going to be a good message. I feel it if nobody else says it. speaks to me if it doesn't speak to anybody else. But when you are in, have you ever noticed fanatical fans, they just constantly talk about their team, even in the off season. And you're like, come on, man, like give us a break for a little while. Some of, some of the ladies, especially you're like, can we stop talking about football? It's July. Right. Some, right. But when you get a radical football fan, all of a sudden, you know, they're just talking about it. Have you ever met a fanatical Christian? They're not talking about it on Sundays. The world's like, okay, you can talk about it on Sundays. I'll give you that day. But Monday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, Friday at lunch, still talking about Jesus, still talking about what he did for me, still talking about how he's changed my life, still worshiping the Lord, still walking around singing songs of worship to the Lord all day long. Why? Because now you are associated with Christ. You are in Christ and you are a fanatical fan, so to speak. You, you are now in association with Christ. I, I got to be done. I got to be done. Let me ask you this last question. They turned the TVs off, which means I don't have a timer now, so... Are you living in Christ or in the flesh? This is the big question to end with. Are you living in Christ 
or in the flesh? Who are you associating with? And you can always tell who you are associating with based on the fruit of that association. We have a whole world around us in the United States that the rest of the world laughs at, I think, a lot of times, where we are so identified with our sex, male and female, our sexual stuff. Our, we are so identified with our sex that now that becomes the dominant thing surrounding our life. Who is the next sexual encounter going to come from? What's the next thing I can do? I'm so identified with my sex that I have to change it. I have to do this and that because now we're so worshiping something that's a, a fleshly identity that, that you're missing Paul's point. It's not that you're not male or female. It's that it doesn't matter. Your identity is in Christ. We have a world that's worshiping race right now. If you get white people worshiping being white, it's called racist. If you get black people worshiping being black, it's called racist. And what Paul is saying is it's not about the color of your skin. Are you in Christ? That's all that actually matters. Are you in Christ? And if you worship your race, you will end up as a racist. If you worship your sex, you will end up as a sexist. If you worship your job title, if you worship your identity coming from that, you will all be on this never-ending scale trying to get a greater job title and lose everything else in your life. I got to be done. When you are in Christ, you begin to reap and get the benefits of being in Christ. So... David, they all laughed at him, thought he was crazy. David goes off, kills Goliath. All of a sudden, everybody else reaps the benefits of what David did. In Christ, you now reap the benefits of the cross. You weren't on the cross. You weren't even there around the cross. You were born thousands of years after the cross. But yet you can associate yourself with the cross to reap the benefits of the cross. All the benefits of the kingdom of God can be in you as you are associated and given to and sworn allegiance and surrender over to Jesus Christ. I get those benefits even though I did nothing to deserve them. You know, one of those benefits, I'm just going to step on some toes real fast as I close. Somebody's going to hate me. One of, those business, one of those benefits is the absence of fear. You do not have to fear in Christ. If your fruit is fear, you are not in Christ. All right, some of you are saying amen, but you're going to hate me in just a second. Because I know how this goes. So if I'm in Christ, I do not need to live in fear. I don't need to be live in fear of COVID. I don't need to live in fear of a vaccine. Both of these that people find themselves in camps on end up because I am not in Christ where I have a rational respect for all kinds of things, COVID and the vaccine, a rational respect, but it's not a fear. It's not a fear. There, there's a rational level of fear that we should all have. If you see a snake, you're not supposed to just walk up and kiss it. 
There's a rational element of fear. But when it's irrational, it's coming from a wrong place inside of us. And right now, the world wants to dominate you and control you and give you an identity of fear. And when you in, are in Christ Jesus, there is no more fear. You don't need to be worryful. You don't need to be fearful. This is why, and I end with all this. This is why. This is why. I told you last week, when David stepped on the field, he already won. The obedience was the victory. What if Goliath killed him? He already won. If his next breath, after Goliath chops off David's head, if his next breath is in heaven, you're telling me he lost. And right now, you are being bombarded with a fear of death that is not Christian. Paul would say, oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus Christ ultimately killed the Goliath, the giant of sin, death, hell, and the grave, and we don't need to fear it. We don't need to fear it if we are in Christ. If they've got the victory, I've got the victory because I'm on their side. I can worry about the other team and how they lost, but I don't have to worry about them because I got the victory because my team won. <laughs> David won, I get the benefits. Jesus won, I get the benefits. Now that doesn't mean you should be haphazard and run towards death or anything like that. But what it does mean in our world that we live in today is we have this inappropriate fear of death. The truth is that life is so good for most of us that we actually are so afraid of death because we love life more than we love death. But in Christ, when you die, it's a beautiful thing. In this world, I, I think it's Job that would call it, Job or Ecclesiastes that would call it a mist. It's here and it's gone. And we make our whole world about this mist that's here and gone, here and gone, here and gone. If you haven't noticed, the death rate is 100%. <laughs> The vaccine does not cure death. It might cure COVID, but it does not cure death. Death is 100% going to happen to every person in this room. And then you have an eternity. And we get so caught up in the mist, this little tiny moment. And sometimes we're like, why is God, it sometimes seems when you read Old Testament, especially that God's haphazard about life. Because it's, 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 it's this little tiny thing compared to eternity. And where you are in eternity depends on who you are associated with. One camp turned and ran and gets killed from behind. The other camp turned and ran after them and killed them from behind. Which camp are you associated with? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider subscribing and sharing this on all your social platforms? If you are moved by the message and would love to share your testimony, please email it to amen at myariseChurch.com. I pray you leave here feeling encouraged. See you next time.